The boxes were an anti-Christian, anti-foreign rebellion that took place in China in the late 19th century. Known as the Righteous and Harmonious Fists, they had a single goal, to kill the foreign devils who seemed intent on taking China from the Chinese during the 19th century. Japanese, German, English, and the American government were using their superior weaponry to force the Chinese Manchu dynasty into getting taken advantage of when it came to trading. To counter these hostile forces, the boxers drew from hundreds of years of Chinese martial arts to produce Superman, who would restore Chinese pride. They would spend many hours performing and perfecting their martial arts skill. They also practiced martial arts that used traditional curved halberds and spears. Incantations and spells were combined with physical exercises similar to Kung Fu to produce a trance-like state, which made them impervious to negative emotions such as fear and doubt. Some even sought after the perfect and mythical iron shirt, which involved tensing the muscles so much in your torso that they would be able to resist blows and bullets. So the boxers set out to fight the three types of devils that they deemed needed to die. All foreigners, they were the first class devils. Chinese who converted to Christianity were considered second class devils. And those who were employed by foreigners were third class devils. They were all fair game and in the year 1900, the boxers went out to expel and kill any and all Westerners in what became known as the Boxer Uprising. 200 missionaries were massacred along with 3,000 converts. The boxers surrounded the European legations in Peking, which is now in modern day Beijing. But they soon learned that red banners and scarves were not enough to combat modern day weaponry. After the rebellion, thousands of boxers were rounded up and all were killed by beheading, flaying, and dismemberment. Many suffered Ling Chi, the infamous death of a thousand cuts. The method of Ling Chi for executions had been used by the Chinese government for hundreds of years. The Chinese believed that to be able to experience a pleasant afterlife, it was necessary for a person to be buried as an intact body. Ling Chi was reserved for the most heinous crimes as it dismembered the body, preventing that good afterlife. The Ling Chi practitioner first bound the captive before using a range of razor-sharp knives to slice off slabs of skins, nipples, facial features, and so on. The courts that sentenced criminals to Ling Chi were very specific as to how long the torture should last. Once the torture had been completed, a sharp blade was used to pierce the heart before the lifeless body was dismembered. I'm not, and I'm just, <laughs> and then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom. Shut down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. It's what we do. Wow. <laughs>
FYI, there's nothing wrong with Black Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Weird History Retails Podcast, and I am your only host for today, Moses Soria. And today I'm going to be talking to you about Colts That Kill. So the intro you just heard was about the infamous boxers, aka the righteous and the harmonious fists. And I know, when you think of Colts, we're trained to think about groups such as the Manson Family, the People's Temple, Heaven's Gate, and the like. A group of brainwashed, lonely people whose search of meaning in their life is usually exploited by a horny white dude. And rarely do we think of a larger group of people's beliefs, a cult, until they start blurring the line of sexual morality. So what is a cult? And according to dictionary.com, a cult is a particular system of religious worship, especially with reference to its rites and ceremonies. And boy, does this apply to the next group of people that I'm going to be talking about today, the Aztecs. So the Aztecs were a Mesoamerican culture that flourished in central Mexico from early 1300 to 1521 and were famous for their agriculture, being able to cultivate all available land, introducing irrigation, draining swamps, creating artificial islands in their lakes, and blood sacrifice. They were really good at blood sacrifice. Over several hundred years, they developed their blood cults with, with one thing in mind, to sacrifice anything with a pulse. Small furry animals, young men and women, old crones, no one was exempt. If it breathes, it bleeds. You could say the Aztec's blood sacrifice was the ultimate cult. But you'd call it something else if you were the one being hauled up the side of the pyramid to have your chest torn open with an obsidian blade before your still beating heart was ripped out and offered to the god of war with Silapoctli. So the Mexica, as they called themselves, they were a very religious people and they always had some kind of god in need of some sort of sacrifice. 18 months out of the 18 months in the Aztec calendar, it involved some kind of human sacrifice. Prisoners of war, women, young boys and girls, infants, slaves, and animals. The only ones who didn't have to suffer this fate were the ruling elite, aka grown men. But believe it or not, the Mexicas actually believed that they were doing their sacrificial victims a huge favor by killing them, because according to the Mexicas' views of the world, the manner and circumstance in which you died determined the type of afterlife you would enjoy. The more painful and horrible the death, the better the afterlife you could expect. So today, if you died peacefully in your own bed, surrounded by your loved ones, you died a beautiful death. But back then, if you were a Mexica, and if that's how you went out, you went out like a bitch doomed to wander the afterlife, enduring trials and tribulations before you finally settled in a sad-ass underworld with no joy or color. But if you were fortunate enough to die in battle with your head smashed in by two obsidian-lined war clubs, or maybe on top of a temple with your ribcage broken open and your still pulsing heart extracted before your eyes, or if you were a woman who died after an agonizing failed childbirth that lasted days, you experienced a good death. 
and your soul went straight to the second highest level of heaven. One belief was that warriors killed while fighting became hummingbirds. A dead infant immediately went up to the highest plane in heaven as the very young were considered to be pure, which may explain why so many Mesoamericans went peacefully to their death. One group of kings witnessed 80,000 human sacrifices at the consecration of the Templo Mayor and then feasted on magic mushrooms. The Aztecs inherited a tradition of sacrifice going back to a millennia to the earlier days of the Maya and the Toltec societies. These cultures also practiced auto-sacrifice, which while not deadly, was extremely painful. Sharp objects such as quills from animals, stingray barbs, and thorns on knotted strings would be used to pierce the penis or tongue before they were pulled through, creating exquisite pain which summoned the spirits before the resulting cascade of blood will be sprinkled over altars or in fields to guarantee fertility. But they didn't sacrifice just anyone. The Mexicas believed in quality over quantity and usually restricted the sacrifices to noblemen or captured kings. A ruler would show the discontent for an enemy he had by wearing the dead man's fingernails as a necklace. The Mexica Emperor Tlaclael made human sacrifice a sign of the strength of his empire, and under his regime, blood sacrifice became more political than religious, and bloodletting got a little out of control. While still practicing auto-sacrifice, with one of Tlaclael's generals piercing his own calves, earlobes, and shins with a sharpened jaguar bone to atone for his defeat. Quetzilopochtli received the most human sacrifices throughout the year, being the main god within the Mexica's pantheon. During at least five months out of their 18-month year, people were being sacrificed to satisfy their god of war. The 15th month was entirely dedicated to mass sacrifices of prisoners of wars. Quetzilopochtli was the tribal deity of the Aztecs and was often represented as a fire-breathing serpent. A Mexica ruler was measured on his success by the number of victims he was able to sacrifice on the 15th month in November and December. And this celebration was known as Toshka. Okay, so while looking up the pronunciations of some of these gods, uh, Toshka was one of the ones that there was no one way of saying it. Um, when I was looking into it, every time someone will enunciate it in text, it would always sound like the word was Toxcatl, uh, because it's spelled T-O-X-C-A-T-L. There was only one YouTube video of this uh, Mexican professor from Mexico City, and she pronounced it Toshka. So that's the enunciation I'm gonna go with. And so that, so from here going forward, if it's Tocatle, I'm going with Toshka. So this celebration was known as Toshka, and every 52 years, the Mexicas feared the world would end. Under Tlacael, 
the Mexica believed that they could give the strength to Huitzilopochtli with human blood and postpone the end of the world for another 52 years. When the Aztecs sacrificed people to Huitzilopochtli, the victim was stripped of any ornaments and placed on a large sacrificial stone facing upward, with his head and limbs held steady by priests. Then a senior priest who would often be dressed as and symbolically identified with Huitzilopochtli would cut to the abdomen with an obsidian or flint blade. The heart would be torn out, still beating and held toward the sky to give sustenance to the sun god in his passage across the sky. Blood from the wound was collected in the basin and the smell of the blood combined with burning incense to waft into the sky, further fortifying Huitzilopochtli. The body would be carried away and either cremated or given to the warrior responsible for the capture. If given to the warrior, he could cut the body into pieces and send them to important people and his relatives as an offering while using some of the pieces for ritual cannibalism. The Aztecs were an agricultural people, so rain was incredibly important for their well-being. They believed that if sacrifices were not given to Tlalacoct, the god of rain, rain would not come and crops would not grow. Children were seen as suitable for the sacrifice, but only under one condition. The children had to be crying. So the remains of 42 children have been found in and around Templo Mayor, which was the main temple of the Mexica people in the, in the capital city of Tenochtitlan, which is now Mexico City. So almost all of the children found had ulcerated teeth and gums and other unpleasant infections meaning they would have been in constant pain and would have probably have cried non-stop. Tlalacoct required the tears of young children to wet the earth, and as a result, if a child did not cry, a priest would tear off the children's nails before the ritual sacrifice. The number of children being used as a sacrifice in the Mexica society would have been dumb huge, and some estimate that one in five. One in five children may have been sacrificed. So throughout the Aztec year, children were being sacrificed left and right. In the first month, they were ritually killed as a sacrifice to Tlalocht, and their flesh was ritually eaten, often by the parents. The earth goddess was worshipped by raising a young girl for several months in the guise of the deity before being sacrificed through decapitation. The skin was then flayed and worn by a priest in honor of the goddess and used to conduct ceremonies within the earth goddess's temple and the corn god shrine. It was believed that by wearing the skin of the earth goddess, the priest was able to capture part of the deity's soul and transform mystical powers to the environment. The rotting skin would also fill the temple with an unholy stench and after about three weeks, the skin would reach such a stage of decay that it would simply fall off the priest. So Tlipoca was the most important god in the Mexica pantheon of gods. He was the god of night, sorcery, destiny, and the north. It was believed that he created war to ensure a constant supply of food and drink for the gods. Simply known as the enemy, he was responsible for all the problems and issues in the new world. 
more importantly, he knew the fate of each man. And only through the intervention of Tezcatlipoca could an individual's or a nation's fate be altered. He was seen as all-powerful and all-knowing. And a translation of one of his titles read, He whose slaves we are. And one of the most important rituals on the Aztec calendar was the Great Feast of Toshka, which took place on April 23rd as the days were getting longer. It began a year beforehand and involved sacrificing Tezcatlipoca himself. So a particularly handsome young man would be selected to take upon himself the mantle of divinity. For one year, he lived in the temple, treated like a god and was waited on hand and foot by powerful Aztec lords and priests. He was also able to enjoy four of the most beautiful maids selected from noble young women, whose sole purpose was to satisfy his every emotional and physical desire. These brides represented the goddesses of flowers, the goddess of young corn, the goddess of fertility, and the goddess of salt. He was able to leave the temple under supervision and wander the streets of Tenochtitlan where he was worshipped and adored by the people. On the feast day of Toshka, the young man was taken from the temple and brought to a hilltop overlooking Lake Texcoco. He would say farewell to his bride goddesses and walked up to a small temple where, as soon as he crossed the threshold, he was seized by priests and had his living heart ripped from his torso. The altar and threshold were painted with the god's blood and as soon as all life ceased, a new god was selected. The festival of the god of fire, Shiyutetuchtli, ended the calendar year and it was important that it went off with a bang. The Aztecs celebrated by burning small furry animals, frogs, lizards, and of course, newly married couples. The god of fire was always in the minds of the Mexica and the first morsel of any cooked meal was tossed into a nearby flame as a thank you to the god. But on the last month of the calendar year, it was more than just morsels that were thrown into the fire. The priest began by building a wickerwork representation of their god. Young children would capture animals and offer them to the priest, who would then toss them into the fire. The specially selected recently wet couples were given a taste of the action. Dressed in elaborate ceremonial clothes representing the god of fire, they were tossed into the fires that raged upon the altar. As they flailed about in agony, the priests watched them carefully, and just as they were about to die, they were hauled out of the flames with large metal hooks. Splaying them, both bride and groom, across the sacrificial stones, and would then proceed to tear out their barely beating hearts. Sheyutetuchtli was able to feast not only on the living bodies of his offerings, but also their life force in the form of hearts and blood that was offered to him in this particularly nasty ritual. Other rituals, those marking the planting season and the harvest, were dedicated to one of the 
oldest gods, the goddess of fertility. Throughout North, Central, and South America, many indigenous cultures worshipped a variation of this deity and many had similar rituals. At the height of the Harvest Festival, at midnight on August 21st, the woman who represented the goddess was decapitated by priests before being flayed. Her skin was then squeezed onto a young man who temporarily took on the best aspects of the deity. The skin from one thigh was removed from the flayed flesh and taken to the high priest of the corn goddess, who would then wear it as a mask. The young man representing the earth mother then sacrificed four more victims before being banished from the empire while the high priest deposited his mask at a far-flung part of the empire's territory, having worn it along the journey there. Working alongside the earth goddess was the corn temple, whose sacrifices were just as bloody. A young woman had her face painted yellow and red to represent ripened grain, and her arms and legs were covered with bright feathers. Dancing for hours before the temple on the eve of the harvest festival, she then entered the building and was seized by a priest who carried her on his back. Then another priest cut off the victim's head before tearing the heart from her young body. The pyramid temples built not only functioned as stages for sacrifices, but were demonstrations of a city's prestige. The bigger the temple, the bigger the power. Remodeled and rebuilt to get higher and higher on a regular basis, with each new version of a temple being consecrated with ritual sacrifices. With the Aztecs outdoing their neighbors with the greatest recorded mass sacrifice of prisoners staged by the all-conquering emperor Ahuitzotle after the completion of the Templo Mayor. Returning in 1488 from his victorious campaign, he and his army brought with them a huge train of captives. The men were dragged along with rope through the pierced septums while women and children were tied to wooden yokes. In total, 80,400 prisoners were to be sacrificed at the inauguration of the Templo Mayor. Neighboring kings and enemies of the empire were invited to witness the ceremony. Sitting atop the new, blindingly white temple before the shrines of Huitzilopochtli and Tlaloct, where they had a perfect view of the main plaza filled with the never-ending line of captives waiting execution. The captives in huge lines stretching beyond the city limits were herded up to 100 steps of the pyramid to meet their fate. At the top of the stairs, they were seized by priests, bent backwards over sacrificial stones so that the chest arched up. A priest held each limb and with a practice slash, the kings and their priests sliced open the chest and pulled the beating heart out of each victim. The ritual was endless and once a priest was too tired to continue, another fresh priest would immediately take his place. Each body spurted out several pints of blood which soon ran over the lip of the platform and streamed down the sides of the temple. Rivers of blood literally ran down the temple and they cooled down. Globules of the blood formed into large clots. In the hot sun, the blood began to ferment and rot, sending out a dreadful stench that covered the entire 
city. Complete with hallucinogenic mushrooms, the visiting kings were given rich gifts and escorted back to the kingdoms. The Mexica had achieved their goal. No state would likely go to war with them when the consequences of defeat were just made so abundantly clear. But this didn't last very long. Just a few decades later, the empire, which had grown so quickly, which had spilled ungodly amounts of blood, were swiftly brought down to the knees by the smallpox the Spanish conquistadors brought with them, and were left a mere shell of themselves. Thank you, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed this mini-episode. But don't you worry. Next week, the guys will be back as we travel down to New Orleans, where we'll talk about haunted houses, vampires, and much, much more. So with that out of the way, please do us a favor and add us on Instagram at Weird History Retails Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And since nobody else is here, no one else has anything else to add. So as always, thank you. We are the Weird History. E-Retails Podcast.